Hi. <laughs> My name is Kendall Ludwig. Uh, you may know me as the wife of Mark, running slides in the back, or mother to Margot and Juliet, and that's the little redhead who each week after service runs as fast as she can into the New Hope parking lot. Um, at New Hope, you may also know me as Elder Kendall, or occasional worship leader Kendall, or prayer leader Kendall. It depends if I have my glasses on or not. Um, and you may also know me as house church leader Kendall, or that girl who runs slides in the back of the sanctuary with her travel mug of coffee, which I have right here, each Tuesday morning for Women of Hope. Outside of this building, a lot of people know me, and some actually refer to me as Curly Red. Curly Red is the name of my branding, print, and web design firm that I've owned for seven and a half years. And as part of what I do to grow my business, I meet with a lot of new people all the time. And as we are shaking hands, I do not lead with, hi, my name is Kendall, and I'm an elder at New Hope Community Church. In fact, if I discover that the man or woman that I am speaking with is a brother or sister in Christ, I may be more weary to disclose that information. Um, as you can imagine, that statement is not always met with, you go girl. I've, um, you know, it's been met with confusion, um, intimidation, and downright hostility. I vividly remember sitting down with a female worship leader um, in my college youth group who had become my mentor. She is a godly woman, and I had all the respect in the world for her. But our relationship changed after we had one meeting where she outlined her beliefs that follow a more complementarian position in regards to women's ministry. She told me it was fine if I wanted to become a worship leader or even lead a small group one day. But she had come to the conclusion that it was downright sinful for a woman to preach from the pulpit, be a pastor of a church, or serve as an elder. The irony is that I had never considered doing any of those things. In fact, at the time, I never really thought of myself as a leader in any way, shape, or form. I guess God had other plans for me. But maybe she saw some leadership qualities in me that she wanted to contain as soon as possible. <laughs> that conversation haunts me to this day. And it's one of the very first things that came to mind when Darcy Bissett came to me and let, it, let me know that I had been nominated for eldership at New Hope Community Church. I'm sure my previous mentor would have been less than thrilled with the calling that I felt God was putting on my life. At New Hope, we are in the middle of a sermon series called We Are Family. Jason kicked it off with motherhood, and then Kristen and Zach took over with childhood, and last week Joe preached on brotherhood. And as you can see from the cheesetastic image on the front of your bulletin, I'm going to be discussing sisterhood. By the way, that image goes out to my dear sister, Darcy Bissett, and her never-ending love of Frozen. Okay, let me set the stage for today's passage. We are in Egypt. According to 1 Kings, the exodus of Israel occurred approximately 480 years before the construction of Solomon's temple. Scholars debate on the actual dates, but we're talking about somewhere around 1400 B.C., Joseph, that's the one with the amazing Technicolor dream coat, himself had been a slave. 
but God gave him the gift of understanding dreams. Then Pharaoh, being plagued with terrible dreams, sends for Joseph. Joseph explains what the dreams mean and gives Pharaoh a game plan that will bring Egypt safely through an impending drought. Pharaoh immediately recognized Joseph's talent and wisdom, brings him out of slavery, and basically makes him second in command under Pharaoh himself. Joseph's brother and father Jacob come to be with him in Egypt. And in Genesis 49, Jacob pronounces Joseph and each of his brothers as the 12 tribes of Israel. When we start the book of Exodus, things are actually good for the Israelites. We see in chapter 1, verse 6, Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. But the good times quickly came to an end when the new Pharaoh comes into power and he has no relationship with Joseph or his family. We read in Exodus 1.11 that his first decision in dealing with these fertile Israelites is to put them into slavery and force them to work hard, back-breaking manual labor. We then arrive at our passage for this morning's sermon, beginning in 1.15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, who names, whose names were Shephara and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Shephara and Pua, the midwives in this morning's passage, had quite important jobs, and in this case, an awful lot of power. Now, I was teaching our bedrock children when Jason preached on motherhood. There's lots to love about Jason. I love our never... <laughs> He likes where I'm going with this. I love our never-ending banter about each other's choice of vehicle. By the way, Jason, I found your car. It was voting for Ralph Nader. Um, uh, but his sermon reminded me of another reason that I love him. He has mad respect for women. He celebrated the power woman uh, found in Proverbs 31 and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her incredible desire to put God's will for her life above all else. In the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ, found in the book of Matthew, four other women besides Mary are mentioned. They are Tamar, a widow who disguised herself as a prostitute, Rahab, an actual prostitute who hid spies of God's people in opposition to her own people, Ruth, an outsider who used rather bold techniques to land her man, and Bathsheba, otherwise known as the naked bather slash adulteress. Quite a variety of women, I'd say, but the common trait was how each one of them responded to God's calling on her life. So I was grabbing a cup of coffee with my buddy Steve Reynolds the other day, and I mentioned to him that it's a really strange time to be a woman. He countered by stating, 
But there's also never been a better time to be a woman if you look back in history. I think both statements are true. I am outrageously blessed to live in a time and place where I've had the opportunity to be educated, go to college, to have a career, to start my own business, and to have the technology to run that business from my home and on my own schedule. I was brought up, thanks to wonderful parents, uh, to believe that I could be whatever I wanted to be. Gender didn't have to be a determining factor in that equation. And yet, with seemingly endless possibilities for the paths our lives can take as women, why are women, especially I would argue women in Christ, struggling so much with what role we play in this world and in God's kingdom? Has too many choices become a bad thing? And furthermore, what role do these numerous choices affect the way we relate to one another as sisters in Christ? Just think about those questions for a few minutes and we'll come back. I have befriended a family who lives a few doors down. Their children enjoy playing with my children. They have a swing set that my girls love. And thanks to this, we have begun a friendship. And much to my delight, I have come to find that the husband and wife are both believers. I've gotten a chance to chat with them both, and they told me that they have been praying that, someone, that God would bring some neighbors into their lives, and I always like hearing that I'm the answer to prayer. <laughs> Honestly, I too have been yearning for some real friendships with more of my neighbors. She wanted to give me her email address and wrote it down on the back of this publication for above, above rubies for me and mentioned that I could keep it and that this newsletter was something that she read monthly and enjoyed. I had ne never heard of this, but I got the chance to sit down and read a few that evening, a few articles that evening. The publication is dedicated to encourage women in their high calling of wife and mother. Okay, great, I'm down with that. Um, I read a few articles, noticed a few remarkable patterns, like the fact that almost all the families featured had at least six children but didn't read anything that felt too off the mark. Then I came upon an article written by the woman who runs the publication itself. And it read, Dear Mother, do not be lured away by the humanistic voices all around you, in the church and in the world. Listen to God's voice. Listen to your heart. You are needed for your children. No one will ever love and care for your children like you do. Someone else can always replace you in your career, but no one can adequately replace you as the mother of the children God has given you. I'm reading this and my heart sinks. I continue reading to find more and more language that suggests that it is sinful to pursue anything that would interfere from one's role of wife and mother. I do more research to see where this publication originated and discover something called the Quiverful Movement which I had never even heard of previous to this Google search. A very conservative evangelical movement, it is historically against any type of birth control, including family planning, it is against any schooling outside of the home, and it is also historically against women in the workplace or business world. I begin wondering, is this how my neighbor feels? Does she agree wholeheartedly with this message? She already knows that I have my own company, that I have two children and I'm content with that number for the time being, and so on. Is this her way of telling me that she thinks I'm in the wrong? I could have read this publication, decided that a woman who feels 
finds this literature encouraging was maybe too different from me, and then just not pursue a relationship and never bring up this publication. And maybe if I hadn't been preaching on sisterhood, I regret to admit that I might have made that choice. But I felt an urge, is that you, Holy Spirit, encouraging me to be bold and ask her more about her opinion on the subject the next time I saw her. Our conversation was an extremely encouraging one. We found much more common ground than I could have hoped for. When I brought up the point that the publication's name, Above Rubies, was in reference to the Proverbs 31 woman, she was the first to exclaim, didn't she buy and sell her own land? To which I replied, yeah, I mean, she's basically an entrepreneur. And we both laughed, and I silently thanked the Lord for helping us find solidarity. In preparation for this morning, I also decided to read this book, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Some of you might be surprised that I haven't already read this book or committed parts of it to memory. Why? Well, it's perhaps the most successful business book ever written by a woman who is the current COO of Facebook. The gist is that women have all sorts of reasons for not being leaders in life and in work. Many are external, social stereotypes and social pressures, but even more, Sandberg claims, is that we women hold ourselves back. We've bought into the lies that now equate to women feeling like they need to choose between being a good mother and having a fulfilling career outside of the home. And truthfully, I found myself agreeing with a lot of what she wrote. And even though Sandberg wrote her book from a secular perspective, there is even more of a stigma on Christian mothers in business. Before House Church this past week, Jen Hobson mentioned that Rob is part of a Christian businessmen networking group. I shared with her that when I began Curly Red, I was looking for a similar group for women since I thought it would be a good way to find people who I would want to work with and also love Jesus. And guess what? I couldn't find a single group. Here's my issue. If Above Rubies sets the ideal godly woman as one whose sole goal and mission in life should be running the household and raising her children, then Lean In is at the other end of the spectrum, that Sandberg is claiming that the large majority of women should enter the workplace along with their male peers, and with the exception of a brief maternity leave, never leave until a retirement. Anything less, again in her opinion, is a waste of educated and talented women. And sadly, it feels like most women in the church have used up a lot of pixels trying to create a list of what it looks like to be a godly women, woman in this day and age. And then they want to apply that list, the same list, to every woman. This also ties into the idea of women competing with one another. If there's a single list of how to do it right, then there must be those who are doing it best, or at least better than you are. Interestingly enough, this ties over to what I have experienced firsthand among other women in the workplace. I found an article on this phenomenon by Amy Singer where she says, when power feels like a scarce resource, people will compete with one another to grab what influence they can. Historically, women have perceived that a small amount of power and opportunity are available to us and that these resources are controlled and granted to us by others. So when some small door of opportunity cracks open, we greedily shove each other out of the way in the effort to be the first, or better yet, only woman through the gap. We often feel we must compete 
with one another to win the share of influence. We resent one another for successes, believing other women's achievement inherently erodes our own. The irony here is that in buying the idea of scarcity and bruising each other on our way through the door, we essentially guarantee that the real power stays in the hands of others. So what happens when, instead, women stop focusing on scarcity, recognize their own abundance, decide to stop competing, and share? They find a kind of power they would have never have known otherwise, solidarity. Let's go back to those midwives. Safara and Pua were called forth by Pharaoh. And even though these are the only two mentioned by name, it is most likely that these two actually represented a much larger group of Hebrew midwives. If you think about the number of Israelite women having babies, it is likely that they would need more than two women to help with prenatal care, the guidance and parenting 101, and the, deliver, the labor and delivery of all those babies. Speaking of which, biblical midwifery and birthing practices from this time period are fascinating. In addition to the services I've already mentioned, once the baby is born, the midwife would clean and clothe the baby and then present the baby to his or her parents for adoption. It was never assumed, even if the baby was healthy, that the parents would keep him or her. Adoption was usually announced by the father saying something like, this is my beloved son, or by the parents naming the child. I immediately thought of Jesus' baptism found in Matthew 3, where God announces, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It may also shed some light on the meaning behind Paul's words in Romans 8:22 and 23. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. Shafara and Pua and the other midwives they represent were given one order. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, let her live. Given everything we know about midwives, this would have been an incredibly easy, not happy, but easy order for them to carry out. They had the experience, the expertise and the exclusive access to those newborns. But we know that these women feared God, and they knew that killing these baby boys was wrong. It was their calling to save them. However, it's important to remember that all the midwives needed to be on board with this calling. They all needed to agree to, A, not kill any babies, and two, conjure up a feasible lie to tell Pharaoh when it came time to explain why there was a bunch of baby boys running around. The line Shafara and Pua give Pharaoh about the Hebrew women being vigorous is a clever one, because Pharaoh really would have no way of proving that they were lying. He doesn't know the ins and outs of labor. This plan required the women to act together. Otherwise, Pharaoh would have known that Shafara and Pua were lying and they would have been killed for disobeying. Furthermore, Moses, who was born immediately after this story ends, would have been killed within seconds of his birth. Moses would have never delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, and all of history as we know it would have changed. So why does this matter? 
It matters because these women paint a picture of true sisterhood. They feared God, they responded to his calling, and they acted in solidarity. When I look around at the women at New Hope, I am exceedingly encouraged. I see women who are single, married, divorced, young, and old. I see women with no children, with tons of children, with 2.5 children. I see women who work full-time outside the home, women who homeschool their children, and everything in between. Women who are gifted to lead, to teach, to be hospitable. I see women who fear God, who are responding to his call, and who are acting, albeit imperfectly, in solidarity. I wish I could say the same for all women in the church universal. What sort of witness would that be to the watching world? For a very long time, we the elders have been wrestling with where God wants to take New Hope Community Church moving forward. We collectively agreed some time ago that Stone Chapel would not be our long-term home and that it was no longer effectively servicing the needs we have as a body. And as part of this process, one that has been the most difficult leadership process I have ever been a part of, Ron expressed a sentiment that I think we all share, our deep desire for unity in our church. We want to be fully united with you my brothers and sisters in Christ. Just three weeks ago at our last meeting, or two meetings ago, I should say, we were studying a chapter in Jane Bryan Smith's The Good and Beautiful Community that was all about this very topic. Jason tied it all back to Jesus' own words in John 17, starting in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and love them even as you loved me. Think about that for a second. That we may be one, just as Jesus and his Father are one. That's how important unity in the body is. And Jesus isn't talking just about unity at New Hope Community Church. He's talking about unity in the church universal. Smith discusses a John Wesley sermon written in 1771 called A Catholic Spirit that feels as relevant today as it was when it was written. In the spirit of Wesley's sermon, Smith repeats a mantra over and over again. If your heart beats in love for Jesus, then take my hand and we'll walk together in fellowship. So, to my young Edge sisters, I'm glad you're here this morning. The Lord delights over you. In 1 Peter, it says, to make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray to the Lord to reveal his unique calling on your life, and then begin pursuing it with great passion, regardless of social norms or naysayers. 
Then find an older woman who's not related to you in Christ who can mentor you, speak truth into you, and encourage you on your journey. To my New Hope brothers, you are a remarkable and praiseworthy group of men. And I'm so incredibly grateful to be part of a church that deeply respects and values women. Thank you for serving alongside of me and never making me feel less than. If you are in a relationship with a woman who desires greater sisterhood in her life, please have her come speak to me. I would love to do that. Lastly, to my strong and beautiful women of hope and all of my sisters of Christ in this room, you women do community beautifully. I am inspired by how you love and serve one another in this body. Just remember that God has a unique calling for every woman, and your sister's calling may differ greatly from your own, and that's okay. Now I encourage you to be bold, to go and build community with our sisters in Christ outside of these walls. Look for common ground. Agree to disagree on the non-essential issues while standing firm on the essentials. And if at all possible, seek to love, serve, and do ministry with those women. This is how we show a watching world what it means to truly be the church. Remember, if your heart beats in love for Jesus, then take my hand and we will walk together in fellowship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this privilege to speak to my brothers and sisters this morning. I thank you for the way that you have used me and you've called me to serve you. I ask that you continue to give me the strength and endurance to serve you as you would have me serve you. I pray that you would give each person here a unique calling that would be so clear that they would have no choice to jump up and serve you accordingly. And that we would come alongside of each other in complete unity and seek your will to further your kingdom on this earth. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father. Thank you for these women. Thank you for these men. Thank you for the privilege it is to serve and worship you. It is in your most holy name we pray. Amen.